Imagine seeing your first dates and flirtations with your partner play out on national television. Except instead of the whole story being told, only parts of the story are. Your romance is a storyline that's controlled by, a, I don't know, puppeteer-like editors and producers. Then imagine your romance and your personality being picked apart on the internet. Strangers weighing in on you and your actions in forums and social media. This is the world of reality television, and while it might sound like my and maybe your idea of hell, plenty of people, such as Alicia Aitken-Radburn, are up for the challenge. She went on not one but three seasons of The Bachelor franchise. Welcome, Alicia. Thank you so much for having me, Andy. You were a political staffer for the Labor Party before you entered the world of reality TV. I have to say, both have a sort of manipulative, skullduggerous, backstabbing inner culture to them, but then both outwardly project some kind of higher virtuousness. You are clearly someone who is deft at negotiating these conflicting cultures, aren't you? Oh, you are so correct. I think that some politicians, if you were to compare Parliament House to the Bachelor Mansion, that they are more similar than so, yeah, some would like like to admit. So um, I, I have negotiated both worlds and it is those similarities that I was so interested in exploring in my first book, The Villain Edit. Um, I went from being being basically a producer in a a media advancer role in Parliament House to being produced on The Bachelor. I understand people told you that you might even bring the party into disrepute by going on the the show. (laughs) Uh, But then again, politicians and people in politics have done far, far worse than than you. You'd you'd, You'd know this, wouldn't you? Yeah, so there is a story included in the book of a and and a female MP at that who, and I thought it was a relatively heavy charge to go on a reality TV show, all sort of like ball gowns and roses, and for that to be the defining feature that brings the Labor Party into disrepute. Um, So so yes, I did think it was that that was a heavy one. Um, But as you say, that there, there is, there's not much room for people involved in politics um, to be their full self. And at the time that I was interested in going on The Bachelor, um, pol- political officers are very, very risk averse. And we were heading towards the 2019 federal election um, and the appetite for risk was not strong. Whereas your appetite for risk was apparently quite strong. What <laughs> What is the villain edit? What does this mean, this industry term mean? Yeah, so I think it's a, it's a term that's been sort of bandied around by both producers and I think as an audience we've sort of started to utilise it as well where um, figures on contestants on reality TV are really sort of shaped and presented to us in this very black and white way and I think we do um, if if many of the listeners have watched a, a episode of The Bachelor once upon a time, you will see these very stark contrasts of your sort of heroes versus villains. Um, and and so from my perspective, and it's a little bit of a mix, some of the behaviour, and I, I go into this more deeply in the book, I, I did contribute to my own representation. I'm glad you though. said this because this was going to be my next question. It seems like you found yourself willing to give the producers the, the tools or the kind of materials that they needed uh, to, to sort of manipulate you. So who was doing the manipulation exactly? 
Oh, I think it's hard. It's So I do go into the sort of producer tactics deeply in the book, but it is nuanced. I did give them material to work with. So to just talk about the dynamic of what I found now that I've sort of managed to step away from the franchise and from reality TV, um, I've tried to do some self-reflection about how I may have contributed to that edit um, because, as you say, they do need material to work with and it's really the common thread throughout the whole of the villain edit um, that I, I, I identified within myself that I I had an unhealthy craving for external validation. And so I think that that was a driver that, that, that made the show, going on the show, appeal to me because I thought I would have a larger sample size than the people in my own life, my family, my friends. Um, I would have the sample size of the audience to affirm that I was a worthwhile person. And obviously it didn't turn out that way. And that was because I had this dynamic with the producers at play where if I was sitting in the interview chair, I noticed myself that I would say something that was perhaps more snarky and the producer would laugh. And that was like kryptonite to me. So I really interrogate that dynamic in the book and how I think that in the quest for fear of being nobody, for fear of being one of those people that are eliminated on the first night and having to go back to my world in Canberra without a job because I resigned from my job in politics, um, I was nervous about being humiliated. I sort of lent into the archetype of the villain in order to be somebody. You'd have to say that most people that sign up for this experience would also probably feel some of these feelings, particularly around validation, would you say? Yeah, I think so. And I think that it's a very, I I think that not only in the reality TV space, I think that a lot of people can, I think they're quite universal feelings, but I don't think that we are very good as a society about talking about things like feeling insecure and seeking external approval and validation because they're quite shameful emotions. So in the book, I've really just tried to strip my entire life back and be really raw and honest um, in the hopes that someone will find um, relatability and comfort in my words. Did you honestly think that you would meet someone in this process? Because clearly <laughs> you're, you're adept at media and uh, influence and perceptions. You know, you're not, you're not a person that would have uh, sort of under, misunderstood the very inorganic way that this is to meet someone, very manufactured. There's dates are pre-planned, uh, you know, the sort of culture of the show is is that you can't really be real because you're sort of playing a game. So you, you can't tell me that you didn't have an idea about that. You weren't sincere about that. Oh, I, I absolutely, my first, I think I would be um, telling a little white lie if the if the main driver for me to go on that first show was to find love. I think if you just look at the sort of um, foundation statistics, it's it's one man and 28 women, 28 beautiful women. And, and so I was quite realistic about my chances of finding love in that space. And so I felt very pessimistic about that process. But then I went on a different show within the franchise. So you've got that one man, 28 women dynamic at the first. And then I went on a show called Bachelor in Paradise, which is much more like a sort of big brother format where there's 
um, men and there's women and it's kind of just a free-for-all <laughs> of getting to know each other. And that show was one much better at being able to um, showcase the depths of people's personalities because it wasn't focused on one lead. And um, optimistically, I, I felt emotions through both of those seasons of the show and I met my husband in the last one that I went on. How long have you been married for? I got married in April, so How's it's it going? just fresh. Is it, is it uh, is, is dreamy as you were led to believe? I, I, I think I know that everyone sort of, when you get engaged, everyone says like, oh, marriage, you're, <laughs> don't get married too quickly. It's everything's downhill from there. I love being married. You're just with your best friend every day. And my husband has now joined me. I'm sort of hopping around Australia on the book tour and he's come in tow with me. And so I don't know why we do that as a culture, <laughs> but uh, to me, marriage is pretty good. I don't know about you. <laughs> well, I didn't meet my partner on national television. So you've got a pretty good meet cute as far as uh, meet cute stories go. Uh, if you just join me on RN Drive, Alicia Aitken Radburn is here. We're talking about her new book, The Villain Edit. You, you went back, before you, you've ultimately found love, you, you went back and did a second season to see after that sort of villain edit experience to see if you could, I don't know, redeem yourself in the eyes of the public to sort of show your true personality, did it occur to you that you, the same thing might just happen again, that the audience just knows you as the villain? Oh, it definitely did and it definitely took time to sort of ingratiate myself with the audience. But I think from a pragmatic perspective, once I sort of received all of the backlash and that was an existential crisis in and of itself for me, I, I had a perception of myself, not that I was a saint, but I didn't think that I was the wholly villainous person that people were commenting on my Instagram telling me that I was. And so from that pragmatic perspective, I thought, well, if if the network um, that and the production company that produces The Bachelor has sort of projected this image of me to, you know, half a million people each night, uh, the best way that I can probably reform that image was by doing it all again. So I, I figured that it couldn't get worse and I, I did get lucky. <laughs> you did. I mean... From what I've read, you know, the tactics of reality television involve producers keeping you up very late and getting you up very early so you're always tired, plying you with alcohol so you're always tired and a bit tipsy. There is also this element of emotional control and suggestion, the power of suggestion. Just talk to me about that experience for you. I do think that the – I think when we talk about production and reality TV – the, the first stories that we do go to are these sort of like plying with alcohol late nights. Um, that that hasn't actually been quite my experience on The Bachelor. I never, particularly with alcohol, I never felt like I was um, out of control of my actions. I might have been a bit chirpy, but um, I, I did feel confident in front of the camera. Um, so I think that, I, I think to go to your point around suggestion um and everyone every contestant on reality tv is going to be different but for me it really was around I wanted to do a good job for the producers and so th that led to for, for instance when I went when I left my first season of The Bachelor and I was eliminated the executive producer actually rang me two days later 
to see if I would come in and do some additional interviews. And this is one of the things that I speak about in the Villain Edit about being one of my regrets. And now that I'm a little bit older, I can sort of see how wanting to do a good job and seeking the producer's approval put me made me exhibit behaviours that I'm I'm not proud of. So they they sort of told me that they had footage of these things that I hadn't seen and I quite happily narrated a full first episode for them. So um, this, the, the manipulation and suggestion is actually a lot less explicit than I think people assume. So given your experiences, both good, bad and, well, even great, finding your partner and, and falling in love and getting married, what would be your advice to someone who thinks this is a way to get noticed, to get that approval, uh, that external mm. approval that you mentioned, and to get on television? What, what would you tell them truthfully about that experience and what to look out for? I, would, I wouldn't discourage someone from giving it a go because I do really think that if it's, if it's something that appeals to you, there can be really incredible experiences to be had. But I just encourage people to really reflect on the, the type of person that they are um, and to, to, to question whether they sort of have the strength to hold themselves in a way that they will always be proud of. And one thing I feel quite, quite strongly about is um, not not so young. We have some very, very young reality TV contestants. And I do worry because I look back at even myself at 25 when I went on my first season of The Bachelor. And I really look back at um, what was a really kind of naive young woman um, with a lot of care and compassion. Well, so. No doubt that's what the uh, producers exactly look for. <laughs> uh, Alicia Aitken-Radburn has been my guest. Her book, The Villain Edit, if you want to find out a bit about the behind-the-scenes goings-on in reality television, is out now. Thanks to you, Alicia. Thanks, Andy. You've been listening to a podcast of The Drawing Room with me, Andy Park. For more great conversations, search for The Drawing Room on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.